Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will help us to hear your word through the words that I say this morning and perhaps also in spite of them. Be here present with us, touching our hearts, convicting us, and helping us to achieve evermore of the community that you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. I apologize for this bit of doggerel that I'm going to begin with. I don't know where I first heard it, but a long time ago. To dwell above with saints we love, that will be grace and glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. Why do I say that community is an impossible possibility? Well, first of all, I believe that community is what we're created for. Of course, we're created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But how? I believe it's through community that we glorify God and enjoy him forever. So we're called to community, but the problem is we never quite achieve it. At least not in this world. Community is something almost everybody longs for, hopes for, and strives toward. But everything that we call community seems to fall short of our hopes and dreams and expectations. But few of us ever give up entirely on community. To find community is in our psychological and spiritual DNA, planted there by God. But in recent years, in American culture anyway, the word community has become a buzzword, like so many other good words, losing a lot of its meaning. It's overused. There's a primetime network television sitcom called Community that really makes a joke out of community. At the other end of the spectrum, some people make an idol out of their ideas of community. And in between those two extremes are all kinds of trivializations of community, like gated community, cat lovers community, and believe it or not, narcissism community. Of course, as Christians, we know that the original community is God himself, or should I say God themselves, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the perfect community in whose image we are created. Jesus prayed in John 17 that the Father would help his disciples to be a community, one, even as he and the Father are one. So there's a clear expression of God's desire that we, in our existence, emulate the Trinity in their loving community. But we know from church history how, for the most part, the church has failed miserably in that calling. There are exceptions, of course. Many of the monastic communities of the Middle Ages achieved some degree of it, and we love to study those and visit them. The Anabaptist groups of the Reformation are among my heroes of community. And we sang a song by Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf, hard to say, funny name, but a great hero of Christian community who founded or led the Moravian Brethren. Here and throughout history, real community has appeared at times. People have, for a few brief hours, weeks, months, maybe even years, experience the beauty of true community, at least in part, imperfectly, but truly, sweetly, nevertheless. 
If you've attended chapel this year, you've heard many deep biblical and theological insights about community. That's been our theme. I doubt that anything I could say would add much very significant to what has already been said, but I've been challenged to give it a try, so I'll try. Of course, I'm not going to try to supersede what others have said. That would be impossible. But perhaps to uncover a dimension of community and then share from my heart a few examples of that elusive, impossible possibility of community. One reason that community is an impossible possibility is because, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, it's a gift. And we don't always remember that. Christian community, the kind that Jesus prayed for in John 17, is a gift. But putting that together with Bonhoeffer's other book on discipleship, I want to remind us it's a costly gift. It's not a gift that we can take for granted. You see, community, as Jesus meant it for us, is not something we can program. As much as we Baptists love to program things, we can't really program community and make it happen. And therein lies one of the problems in our failed experiences of community. We tend to think that it, like most other things, is something that we do. It's our accomplishment. Rather, I want to suggest, with Bonhoeffer, who wrote this in his little book, Life Together, that I hope you'll read if you haven't already, that real community is something only God can do. And when I talk about real community, I mean Christian community, as Jesus prayed for it, for his disciples and all of us to experience it. So community is something that is costly and a gift. It appears when we let God do his work. That's the gift side of it. And illusory community, what we sometimes wrongly call community, appears when we try to do it all by ourselves. True community is the harmony of the individual and the group. Illusory community is either a bunch of individuals pretending to have harmony or a collective pretending to allow individuality. And those two things are really all we're capable of by ourselves. They're mirages of community, and sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking they're community, and too often we settle for one of those because we don't know how or we don't really want to receive the gift of community. Someone might say, well, why wouldn't we want to receive a gift? Well, that's because, paradoxically, it's a costly gift. It isn't an achievement, that's true. But it is something that we have to pay something for. Although real Christian community is a gift from above, it won't be given without our doing something. But you might say, well, wait a minute. If you have to pay for it, then it's not a gift. If it's costly, it can't be a gift. But wait a minute. I want to remind you. Didn't Paul say in Philippians 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? For God is at work in you. That's what theologians call the paradox of grace. And it's also the paradox of community. It's free, it's a gift, but we have to do something to receive it. So what is the price of community? I've already said it's not a program. We can't make it happen with a lot of effort. So in what sense is it costly? Well, I suspect that in our heart of hearts we already know, but we often don't want to talk about it because for many of us it's too high a price to pay. We'd rather settle for illusory community than pay that high price of receiving God's gift of true community. You see, the price is self with a capital S. 
Not self, as in this person God created in his image and gave to the world to glorify and enjoy him forever. Not that self. Rather, self, in the full-blown Western, Enlightenment, modern sense of my privacy, my rights, my esteem, my satisfaction above all else. You see, individualism is so deeply ingrained in our culture that we hardly even know what giving it up means. From our earliest days on earth, we're taught that being true to yourself is the highest value there is. And unbrainwashing ourselves from that is painful, and for most of us, impossible. So how can we receive this gift of community that God has for us and wants us to receive? Well, I don't think we can receive it in its fullness, completely, because that would be the kingdom of God. And that's eschatological. The kingdom is always coming, never arriving until Jesus comes back. But I'm confident that we can taste that community. Again, the answer is fairly simple to how we have to pray every single day a prayer like this. Father, show me how to bless someone else today. Show me how to meet someone else's need. Show me a way to put someone else before me. But before we pray that, many of us, often myself included, are going to have to pray, Father, give me the desire to put others first. It's not a natural desire. You see, we often want the gift of community, even as Jesus prayed the Father to give it to us, but we don't really want to pay that price. Another reason I say that community is an impossible possibility is that it's not really a state of affairs. Community is not a static condition that we achieve, like a plateau or a mountaintop, and then we have it, and there it is, and it's just ours. That's not the nature of community. Community is rather an event. We talk about education, but that's not a thing. That's an event. Education happens. So we say we have education here, but what we really mean is education happens here, all over the place. And so when we say we have community here, what we really mean is, I hope, community happens here. We don't mean it's a thing, like we can measure it, hold it, quantify it. Rather, community is something that happens eventfully, and the purpose of saying that is to keep us from becoming complacent about it. Once we think we have something, we think it's there to stay. It's our possession. This is mine now. Guess what, world? We have community at Truett. I hope what we mean is community breaks out among us all the time, but we don't possess it. The moment we think it's a something that we have, it ceases to be what it could be. Now, I know all that sounds kind of abstract and philosophical, but what do you expect from a theologian? It's important anyway, because if we misunderstand the nature of community, we miss its joy, and we distort it, and it becomes elusive and a mirage. So, if community is something that happens, if it's an event, how do we encourage it to happen among us? Well, there are a lot of answers to those, and we know most of them. Love one another. Put others before yourself. And three abilities that I want to mention. First of all, availability. Community happens when we're available to each other. 
What does available mean? It doesn't mean standing in a corner somewhere and waiting for people to come up to you. It means putting yourself out there in front of people so that they know that if they have a need, they can come to you. The second ability is vulnerability. That's a really hard one for many of us. Being vulnerable doesn't just mean sort of being humble. Being vulnerable means taking the mask off and telling each other who we really are. And the third ability that makes up community is accountability. And that's the hardest one of all. Who wants to be accountable to other people? I'd like to take one of those abilities because the three are too much for one talk and focus on it. And the focus I want to fall on, on vulnerability today. Maybe because that's the hardest one for me. One way of being vulnerable to each other, if we call ourselves community or say it happens among us, is to tell each other our stories. Community tends to break out when people share their stories with each other. That's because we are our stories. Our stories are our identities behind the masks that we wear. Recently, I've been encouraging students in one of my seminars to tell their stories. And I think, and some of them have expressed to me, that it lets community happen among us in that room as we do that. And it continues as they go out of the room, knowing each other better, knowing each other's flaws and why they have them, their strengths and why they have those, and who they really are. I've been the first to share my stories, and I find it liberating and unifying, but not always easy. You see, that's because telling our stories, not stories about other people, but our stories, requires vulnerability and transparency. And something, that's something that many of us struggle with. I know I do. We fear vulnerability and transparency. After all, what if I tell a story about myself and someone else later misuses it against me? What if my story of weakness comes back to haunt me? But if our stories, if telling our stories is the norm rather than the exception, then fear of being vulnerable dies away, and we begin to trust each other. And then community happens. So let me follow my own advice. When and where and how have I experienced at least a taste of that eschatological community that Jesus prayed for that we can experience with his presence among us? Where has community happened in my life? And so please allow me to share some of my stories with you. When I was two, my mother died. My father and brother and I became homeless. We were truly poor. I'm not sure why that happened exactly, but we did. A poor family in our church, and our church was made up of all poor people, took us in to live with them. That is, my brother and I. I don't remember much about my father during the next two years. I'm sure he was around somewhere, but he didn't live with us. And I'm sure he paid that family something for the upkeep of his two boys, but I'm also sure he didn't have enough to pay them what it cost to house and feed and take care of two little urchins in addition to their own six children. But our church was like that. People had very little in terms of material prosperity. That house that I lived in for two years didn't have running water, didn't have indoor toilet, uh, didn't have most of the things that we just take for granted. But the people in our church, most who lived that way, had each other and took care of each other. Later, after my father remarried, 
we, my family, began to take in children. One of my earliest memories is of a cold Sunday night after church, sitting in the back seat of our car, watching my dad go into a house that was little more than a shack, that had no lights, and bringing two little children out of the house and putting them in the back seat between my brother and me. We took them home and kept them for a few days, and then they went somewhere else. I remember my mom burning their clothes outdoors because they had lice. Someone in the church had more room than we, and so took them in. We only had two bedrooms for the four of us. Those two stories are about availability. Now, years later, switching to another church, when I was 11, my dad took a church in another city, and it grew quickly over a few years. And that happened mostly when I was a teenager. Ours was the only church in town that would allow long-haired hippies and drug addicts and Jesus freaks to attend without having to clean up first. It was an adjustment for some of the older folks in the church. But God's spirit was really alive in that church. Numerous people who came to visit the church to see what God was doing there testified later that they felt something the minute they walked into the church. That something is symbolized for me by a vivid memory from my teenage years of a little old German lady that I only knew as Sister Bartles, with her long dress and hair wrapped up in a bun, standing in the foyer hugging a long-haired, one-legged hippie, barefoot with an acoustical guitar slung over his back. And the two of them stood there in the foyer hugging. But see, that wasn't unusual. Everybody hugged each other. But to see that little old lady and that hippie hugging each other was just such a beautiful scene that it stuck in my memory ever since. And I still remember his name, Tony Crow. And just out of curiosity, I went online this morning and he's still a member of Jesus People USA in Chicago and has his own band. That wasn't unusual. Differences didn't matter in that church. Everybody just loved each other. And people flocked to the church just to see that that I was talking about. And that's another story of vulnerability. It might not have been easy for Sister Bartles and Tony Crow to hug each other at first, but they overcame that distance and were able to love each other in that very tangible way. More years later, my first teaching position was at a well-known Christian university that was having tremendous financial difficulties. My salary didn't even pay our bills. I don't know how many people my age and at my level were making my salary, but it wasn't anything we could even begin to live on. Even then, that amount was almost slave labor. But I loved what I was doing. It was a dream come true. But one day, an event happened that I greatly feared. Our little brand new or almost brand new Ford Escort broke down, and we didn't have money to get it fixed. The next day, one of my colleagues, who I hardly knew, he was brand new in our department, called me into his office and said, Roger, God told me to give you this. And he handed me a check for the exact amount that I needed to get that car fixed. That's availability. A few years later, I took my second teaching position at slightly higher salary at another Christian university. Again, just when I arrived, the university was going through terrible financial problems, and the administration was ordering cutbacks and downsizing all departments. I hope it's not something about me at these two universities. The Department of Sociology and Anthropology had just hired a young scholar named Jim Hurd, and as he was the newest, the administration said he had to go. 
But instead, everyone in that department, all 10 faculty members, banded together and voluntarily gave up parts of their salary to make up his so that he could stay. Well, those are about availability and about vulnerability. It's a little harder to talk about accountability, but I'll have to tell you one story. Some years ago, I was embroiled in a really vicious uh, debate that was going on among evangelicals, and uh, I felt like I was going to have to leave the college where I taught because of it and go elsewhere, and God led me here. But about that time, I went to the American Academy of Religion meeting in Atlanta, and I went out to eat, as I usually did, with my InterVarsity Press publisher and editors and the whole group of them. They're a community. That's what I love about InterVarsity Press. They're really a community, and they've drawn me into it. So we went out to eat, and as we were sitting there in Miss Patty's Porch restaurant in downtown Atlanta, eating our southern fried food, um, I guess I waxed eloquent about how depressed I was and about how terrible things were. When I got home, there was an email waiting for me from my friend, the publisher at InterVarsity Press, holding me accountable and saying, Roger, you really didn't have a right to drag us all down with you. But he said it in love, and I knew he really cared. What I want to say to you out of all this is that real community, such as Jesus prayed for, isn't a static state of affairs. It isn't there. True community, or something approximating it, is an event. It doesn't just be, if at all, it happens. But it doesn't happen according to a plan. We can't chart it out. We can't create it by following a formula or a program. We have to want it to happen among us. But it will happen whenever and to the extent that we create space for it and expectantly receive it by letting go of the godlike, independent, autonomous self with all its rights and privileges and esteem and satisfaction and pray, Lord, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Out of my life, let Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, O Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Let's pray. Lord, give us the gift of community and help us to be willing to pay the cost of it. In Jesus' name, amen.